Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we get to gather um, on Saturday mornings like this to study, to learn, to grow. Thank you for the access we have to scriptures. Thank you for the privilege we have to study. Lord, I pray that there's clarity. I pray that the truth of your word shines in our hearts. And I pray that we're able to apply all that we learn to to our lives and to to be able to teach others as well in jesus name amen 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 good morning afternoon evening night whatever time you're listening to this welcome to jtt part i don't know 101 <laughs> episode 101 or teaching 101 or something i don't know what teaching we're at at this point um maybe podcasters would be aware uh we're starting a new book today i think this is our third book this year abby it's 101 okay yes this is our third book this year so we've tried <laughs> i've tried um we're starting the book of titus bolu i will i will kindly excuse you from this group for such jokes <laughs> um yes we're starting the book of titus and uh just to make people like her and bookie happy if you don't like Titus, maybe you will enjoy this teaching uh, or something like that. If you don't like fish or you're allergic to seafood. Uh, <laughs> gosh. Anyways. Um, so, yes, we're starting the book of Titus. Uh, it's a very short book. Um, three chapters. All right. Chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. Many similarities with what we've learned in first and second Timothy. Um, and so there's a sense in which even like if i read things that probably we've gone through i might not uh <laughs> let's see now let's let's see how let's see um if there are if there are things we've emphasized in first and second timothy i might not dwell as on it as much but there are definitely things that are unique to the book of titus that i want to really get at the heart of because um the book of titus yes it's also a ministerial book um paul is writing to a younger minister and sending him on his behalf to to organize the church at crete um but then there's there's a motive that paul everything that paul instructs um the people that titus will be leading um there's a motive there that that i want to emphasize all throughout this book and it's very important you don't miss it and we're going to see meta read titus a couple times as we take it take our time today i hope and chapter two especially and chapter three i hope those things stand out to you so obviously by way of introduction what is the book of titus it's a very interesting name i, I feel weird saying it every single time <laughs> um, what is the book of Titus? Who was it written by? Who was it written to? What's the idea? What's going on? Um, we don't have to guess too much. Who is it written by? Uh, no other person than Paul the Apostle, right? Titus 1 verse 1. Paul is the one writing. Who is he writing to? Verse 4. To Titus, <laughs> right? Obviously. Why is he writing? Verse 5. Titus 1 verse 5. For this reason, I left you in Crete that you should set in order, order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Simple. 
the book of titus is a book written by paul to to titus to set in order the things lacking in the church at crete the church at crete was a city of course in the gentile regions um we don't know much about them at least from acts and 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 the scriptures uh we're going to see just a few things in the book of titus itself and maybe if you want more historical knowledge of what that is you could probably read online like people of crete in paul's day but basically it was it was it was a a a bubbling city with a lot of history as we're going to see um i don't know if you've heard the name epimenedis i don't know how to pronounce his name before but he was an ancient philosopher crete was 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 there um i'm trying to remember i think there was a movie where there was crete the isle of crete maybe troy but i can't remember off the top of my head but yes again another greek uh, city and i think just for starters it's important that we pay attention to that i remember and i've said it here before oh wow oh that's that's awesome that's awesome you should tell the person ah we, we learned about your your people today and to say come to jesus <laughs> um but i remember i was having a conversation the day it dawned on me i was talking to a very good friend of mine and i'm like you realize when you read through paul's amen oh god give you grace when you read through paul's missionary journeys he targeted cities like think about it galatia ephesus rome crete right philippi and because sometimes we we have this mindset that oh if you're going on missionary work it would be to some random village or somewhere where there's no electricity so you have to start learning how to bathe the cold water because when you get there there might not be heat water heat <laughs> um, for you to to bathe but there's also a sense in which and it's not just even paul when you studied the spread of the gospel it had always been through key political systems or cities right god used the greeks heavily god used the romans heavily in the spread of the gospel we're going to talk about that when we talk about election in romans 9 uh, i'm sorry whenever you hear say oh romans again when are we getting there we'll get there but um it's it's amazing because sometimes we we live in for many of us we probably live in cities and there's this if you're not careful there could be this oh my god this place is so immoral let's say you are in some city in in, in the u.s you're like oh my god this place is so godless and you want to kind of move away or like move more into the suburbs move into a place that i just wanted to be calm i don't want this but like our dear delight in las vegas <laughs> i in vegas yeah, in nevada i in vegas five minutes from the strip like yeah, literally that's my perfect head. exactly so <laughs> there could be that mindset of oh if i'm doing missionary work it should be somewhere rural somewhere else but paul intentionally targeted hubs of culture hubs he went to athens for crying out like he went to where they were the, where they were having those discussions in Acts 17 and it was there he was engaging people there is a sense in which um for many of us will be will be located in cities in busy areas in places where you're like oh my god 
is let me go somewhere else but it's strategic don't run unless god is leading you somewhere else don't intentionally just run away for the sake of running away at least see how you can use that as an opportunity to 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 spread the gospel because it's almost as though like if paul was like oh my god i'm an apostle sent to the u.s what would be on his mind it would be like i have to go to new york then i have to go to sf san fran ah i must visit dallas i must go to vegas i will go to vegas <laughs> they need the gospel there do you get as opposed to ah all these all these places all these places i will go to la i'll go to miami right this will be this will be my key and of course on the way i would visit all the all the suburbs and everything along but i will i must plant churches in these locations in this location so what we sometimes see as um challenges or difficulties or ah bukola <laughs> maybe it's you that will go to tennessee but maybe paul might not go there. i don't know uh, my apologies to anyone <laughs> if you're from tennessee no hard feelings <laughs> um but the point is um paul will intentionally target these places he's not going to He's not going to, like, oh my God, these places are notorious for being ungodly. Or they are too this, they are too that. Um, he's going to say, that's even the more reason why they need to hear. If I can, if there can be a church here, think about what how it would be easy from there to spread to, to the places around. To the places around. And so, I, it's just an encouragement. If you find yourself um, in hubs, of culture or economy or media or entertainment or whatever that's where you're located before you decide to run away because it's too godless think about what god can do through you where you find yourself imagine a revival breaking out in new york do you know the implications on the whole world so that's the mindset not ah new york let me run it and it's as if I'm challenging myself because I'm that kind of outside. I don't want, well, I'm not running from cities, but I don't like stress anymore. <laughs> I don't want to go to subway. God will send messengers to the subway to preach. Anyways, but that's, it's it's important that we, we think about because you read out Galatians, Col- Colossians, you forget that these are major cities. <laughs> these are cities, Ephesians, this and that. These are cities that, that so it's like, oh, uh, New Yorkers, um, First New Yorkers, second New Yorkers. First Vegas, second Vegas, right? Um, that's 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 what was happening. Um, and as we're going to see, um, the Cretes were known for bad conduct. Like, you know that that thing where you say, "Oh, Yoruba people like peppery food, or they like oil." <laughs> that that stigma, and I'm like, why? <laughs> Or say, oh, if you're Igbo, and these are tribes in Nigeria, if you're not familiar with them. Um, oh, Igbo people are very entrepreneurial. They like money. Or oh, Ijebu people, they are stingy. You know how an entire cult people group can labeled? That's that's how Crete. <laughs> that's how tell you me, I like pepper. Um, not as much as some other people have seen, but I, I really still like pepper. I hate oil, so I really hate oil, <laughs> but I like pepper. Um, but that's what the Cretans were. And you're going to see, so you see in verse 12, it says one of them 
their own prophet, that's Epimenides, I don't know how to pronounce his name. He lived about 600 years before Christ. He says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, <laughs> and lazy gluttons. That, that was the description. Uh, you say you're from, ah, you're from Crete. You know, when if you see someone from Crete, be scared. Because he's most likely, or she is most likely a liar, an evil beast, <laughs> or a lazy glutton. That is where Titus was doing his work. And I'm saying that you might not understand yet, but when we start to look at the what makes the book of Titus unique, especially for Christians living in godless, in quote, cities, it starts to um, <laughs> it starts to make sense. It starts to make sense. This is the kind of place he was, a place where the people generally are. They are they are worthless. In fact, there was a word called Cretans. When you say you're a Cretan, like it, it became an adjective to describe a human being. That means you are most likely you're you're a deceitful person. You're lazy. You just want to 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 cheat people. That was it. It became a word. So imagine doing ministry in that kind of place. Or imagine how the gospel would have been received first of all. And so the earliest believers. There would, there would have to be radical behavioral changes because they are coming out of a culture that was very, very godless. The same thing, you're in a culture where it's so sexualized. It's all about pleasure. It's all about having a good time. It's all about, we call it the hookup culture. There's, I, I was watching um, a couple YouTube videos and what this guy was going on the street asking people um, things about a partner. So they'll say, oh, um, would you green flag or red flag if he wants to uh what's the word if he wants he won't he doesn't want to marry until he's financially stable so say oh green flag i like that oh he lives with his mom say red flag right you raise it up and for every single one i saw they're like oh he wants to move in before he gets married every single person said green flag and they're like oh yes that, that's a good thing you never really know a person until you move in together this and that that's the culture we live in where where there is no sexual sanctity outside of marriage right it's normal in fact to the point where even believers are starting to debate you begin say ah oh, what's the big deal in moving in with your boyfriend before you give how else are you supposed to know if your chemistry is right and you're like okay Yes, exactly. Tammy, you are doing shout out to uh, sponsorship on it's yes, that's the person. Um, I just stumbled upon it like on my YouTube shows like two, three days ago. So I watched a couple of them. Um well that's the world we live in. That's the world we live in. That's the world we live in. We live in a world where the pursuit, especially the the country or the society we live in, where the pursuit of pleasure beats everything else right whenever once you have free time you must have fun you just that's that's the purpose of free time to have fun that's not all god in time there's nothing wrong with having fun but life is more than being sexually free and having a good time that's the culture we live in and so even practically imagine you being saved from such a culture there might be things that if you are not careful your life won't change even though you are saved and you probably could be saved, you need strong discipleship to overcome some of those things. 
to overcome some of those things. And that's why you see many Christians, perhaps maybe even more, I don't know, I don't know the statistics, but I won't be surprised. Maybe even more Christian, Christians and non-Christians are probably addicted to pornography or something, right? Because living in this kind of culture can take its toll on you, especially if you don't allow discipleship and you don't consciously begin to break out of the mindsets and the systems of those cultures and so you'd see even let's say um people getting saved but struggling to understand god's idea of marriage what do you mean i should submit to my husband is the head of the home i don't get it <laughs> right those are things practical things that um getting saved in such a culture will challenge you in and so a huge part of of titus right or paul's instructions to titus is to ensure that the christians or the people who are now saved in the place of crete don't live like the cretans to ensure that a church every church including this one must have a distinct reputation or a reputation for their distinct conduct and we're going to see that um next week especially we're going to see that in fact he he calls this sound doctrine he calls this sound doctrine if you go to titus 2 very quickly um it's titus 2 verse 1 he says but as for you speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine he doesn't go on to now start saying christ died was but no he said older men don't drink <laughs> be sober younger women don't drink <laughs> Teach the young women to love their, their husbands. That's sound doctrine, right? He says, um, show yourself to be a pattern. Tell the servants, don't steal. That entire chapter, that is Timothy teaching sound doctrine. And so you're, you're starting to see that, yes, on one hand, the doctrine of Christ includes the revelation of who Jesus is, what he has done, oh, soteriology, salvation, justification, righteousness, all this cool stuff. That is sound doctrine. But the follow-up teaching on how that information influences your everyday life is also sound doctrine. Oh, you are a believer. This is how and what you must do. This is how to live. This is how to live. This is how to live. And so this is the emphasis of, of Timothy, sorry, Titus's work to, to, uh, to the Cretans to teach and to remind that yes, you are in the world, but you are not of the world. And if you are saved, it must show. It must show. Everything you do must point to the fact that you are different. Oh, Cretans are liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, not Christian Cretans. Say, oh, but these Christians, they have a different description. Say, oh, you're a Christian. Let's say if someone goes into Crete and says, oh, you're a Christian. I can trust that the rumors I've heard about your city don't apply to you. Don't apply to you. It's a charge to encourage the believers to live for God, even in a godless world. And so, more than we think, it applies to everyone listening on this call. And while, yes, some of the instructions, maybe some of you, you don't drink wine, you are not, it might not apply directly, but what titles should challenge you to do is think about your culture, think about your city, think about where you find yourself and ensure, ask the Holy Spirit to check your heart. You check your heart. Are there ways where, are there places in your mindset, in your, in your ideologies 
where you're already compromising, where you're already becoming like the people you live amongst. And the Lord is giving the same instruction that he gave the people of Crete. Come out from among them. Not by moving away. <laughs> not by relocating to a Christian island. But in your conduct and in your way of life. Amen. Amen. We're still not done with introduction. I know they'll say, I have. Still, we're still going. I mean, we've not started verse 1. Yes, we've not started verse 1. Give me a sec. All right, so that is that is Paul's emphasis. Um, <laughs> so where's the silent? <laughs> that is Paul's emphasis for for the people of Crete, right? And um, before we go on again, um, like I said. Paul is encouraging them to live for God. So quickly, let's let's even look at that. What are the reasons, right, why a believer should live for God? I mean, it's an obvious question. It's an obvious question. And I think, maybe let me even just gather a few thoughts from the chat. Why is it important that as Christians, we live for God in a, in a godless society? Why is it important? Why is it important? <laughs> it's not a trick question, so there will most likely not be a wrong answer. God lives in us. Yes. 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 Is that why? Okay, yes. You mean like your body is the temple of God, right? Or we are ambassadors of Christ. Yes, that's my number th point number three. We are the Bible. Some people read. I like how that is the emphasis. I like how that's the emphasis. Yes, it encourages others to do the same. All right, awesome. Because we have been saved so that people can see God through us. Perfect, perfect. That is exactly what we're going to emphasize. It reflects God to the world. Yes, that is that is Titus in a nutshell, actually. Um, but I, I, I narrowed it down to three reasons. Of course, there could be more. Why we should live for God. And I'll start by giving this story that I'm sure applies to many of us. Um, let's say as a child, for me, it was Capri Sun and uh, cream crackers. That's what I usually took to school <laughs> as my snack. I loved Capri Sun and cream crackers, especially apple or strawberry. Oh my God. I didn't like um, the citrus. I don't like citrus in general like that. I love berries like apple, grape, strawberry, drinks so capri sun and cream cracker and there'll be times yes the blue one the uh i can't remember not the yellow um one the blue beloxy beloxy cream crackers <laughs> yes exactly that was divine if you mix it with and you just ah oh, yeah yeah so yes we loved that but then <laughs> I'm glad we're not alone. <laughs> oh, I'm not alone. Um, but then my mom will be like, Oh, you can only take one a day. One a day. And I'm like, why? It's too small. I want more, right? Or like sweets, right? Let's say Maltesers. Oh my gosh. And you just want to keep on taking, right? Like I've I've 
broaden the contact at least more people know more teasers and you just want to keep and your mom is like no you've had enough and as a child we hated that statement you've had enough sweets or you've drank enough coke or you've you it's 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 like oh my god i want more and so when you were younger right you didn't take as much sweets because you simply listened to your parents and then you start to get older and you are aware of what sugar does to your body some of you you are now doing gym bro and gym sis <laughs> you have summer body goals now your parents are not there to say oh you've had enough Maltesers today but you yourself at least for some of you <laughs> exactly you're even growing up you're like eh, i can't have as much as i i i used to right i don't like even as i don't snack i thought i'll grow up i'll just be buying chocolate i i can't i can't snack i had when i moved to my apartment i had pringles in my pantry for over a year like just one kind i couldn't finish it because i don't i don't snack um as a kid that is impossible i'll finish it that that hour that same hour i would have finished the pack right as in i have chinchin since 2021 on top of my fridge right so um you grow up and you're like oh i have these physical goals and stuff like that and so you, someone someone will be like oh i don't take carbonated drinks i don't take soda so well, what would you like oh just water please <laughs> as a kid you would never have said just water but you grew up you as in our water gang <laughs> water gang you grew up you started to learn that these things are not they're not good for my body or at the very least they are not in accordance with my summer body goals and so you you understood why your parents said so and you you can discipline yourself to not do it that simple analogy is my first two points on why we live for god the first reason a believer should live for god um <laughs> the first reason a believer should live for god is because god wants us to right it's that simple god has revealed his will by the most part I said I learned, but the learning is not helping. God will help you. <laughs> it's because God wants us to. And so God says, don't lie. And you're like, okay, I really want to lie. But God said, don't lie. Okay, I'm not lying. No lying. I'm a child of God. I know his will. I love him. He loves me. I'm not going to lie. Right? God says, don't commit um, fornication. You're like, ah. Oh, wow. Sorry. <laughs> my we had audio issues god says don't come in you're like okay okay god says like let's say a christian gets saved in this culture or someone gets saved and you're like god says don't come in fornication and you're like ah okay no i'll, I'll wait till i get married right because god wants us to what and I've, I've talked about this before and it's very important as believers very very important that we get to a point where we don't just live above sin simply because oh i really want to but like as a kid i really want to, but my parents said i shouldn't or i really want to but god said i shouldn't it's a good reason to live for god but we should not stop there because the truth is as we grow to 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 learn and to know god more to to know his wisdom practically when the when the scenes in proverbs start to actually make sense or you start to see life god's way you be you start to become more like him in your thoughts and the way you see reality 
that growth and understanding, what starts to happen is you start to see sin the way God does. Or by the analogy, you start to see sugar the way your parents did. Right? And so it's no more a case of, oh, I, I really want to lie, but God said I should not lie. So I'm not going to lie. You start to see that, oh, this is actually a harmful way to live. If I'm lying, I'm breaking my brother's trust. It's not, it's not fair. Or, oh, adultery. Why would I cheat on? Why would I break the commitment I've had to my wife? No, I don't want. So it, it's, it's, it's now not a, it's now a case of, first of all, God said to, I see why God said, and it makes sense. It actually makes sense. There really isn't anything profitable in wasting my life with drunkenness and and sexual ex- and boundless sexual expression. It actually makes sense. And it's a prayer that as believers, we should be intentional about that God help me to see things your way. Help me to actually hate the things you hate and love the things you love. Not just vibes and feelings, but to, to understand why God says, because it's not as though God is like, I don't want you to have for that. Think about it. God wants what is best for us. Meaning that everything he says, if you actually start to understand what it means to be human, you will come to the same conclusion. You will come to the same conclusion. If there's any area, right? Anything God has said that you're like, if I was God, maybe I'll have changed it a bit. It means you've not, you in that area, You've not started seeing things the way God does. That, that's it. That, that is a litmus test. If they say, oh, if you are God today, what law or what way of living will you change? I say, I will change this one. It means that you've not really understood from God's perspective what, he, what, what, what why it is good. You've not, you've not come to... And again, like it's a thing of growth. You are still abiding. So it's not like you're, you're, you're a sinner or anything. But there's room for growth in that area. There's room for growth in that area. And so you'd see with Joseph and Potiphar's wife, beyond just, I, I really want to, but, but God said, Potiphar's wife, but God, you're a fine bit, but God said. To get to a point, it's like, my master has given me everything. You're the only one he kept from me. It's not fair. It's not right. I like, it doesn't make sense. I'm sorry. I won't do this thing and sin against God. I understand why it's not the right thing to do. I understand why it's not the right thing to do. And so spiritual maturity is not just seen in you doing the things God said, but it's seen in you starting to understand why God said it. And you actually align with the wisdom of God on whatever area, on on your conduct, on marital issues, on the pursuit of pleasure. You actually see that it doesn't make sense to binge Netflix every day. It It doesn't make sense. Like, it's not because God is mean or God doesn't like um, what Netflix show. I don't know. <laughs> but there are better things I can do with my life to make me more fulfilled. That's what it's about. Right? So that's the second reason, right? Because we've... So the first reason why we live for God is because God wants us to. The second is because we see why God wants us to. And then the third, which is what a lot of us have put in the chat is so that we preserve the reputation of God. Both for God's sake and for the sake of people that need to be saved. I'll say that again. It's the, re- the third reason why we ought to live for God 
is because as believers we preserve his reputation both for his namesake and for the sake of the people that need to be saved it's that thing where whenever you are going to boarding school i don't know if your parents if especially if you're from a nigerian home there's a prayer or an advice every mother has said <laughs> you can put it in the chat that goes with this it says remember the son of whom you are i heard that thing every time my parents visited literally every time remember the son <laughs> of who you are and it's the same thing in christianity as we live remember the son remember the daughter of who you are because your parents did <laughs> my mom never said it in Europe. okay <laughs> um i remember like because that's the idea your parents don't want to to be called and say oh your son did this it's 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 almost like it's bringing shame to them all of a sudden they start to look bad because of your foolish decisions it's the same thing as christians it's the same thing as christians and this third point is so important because it's it's the most selfless all of a sudden you remember that your thoughts your words your actions it's not just about you it's not it's not just about who is right how you were feeling that day you were in a bad mood no 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 there are bigger things at stake the reputation of god is at stake the salvation of that person is at stake and so it's not oh i was just upset ah, 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 ah. i understand you're upset but for the sake of god so that someone will not leave your interaction thinking negatively about Jesus. It's so important. It's about God's reputation. It's about that person's salvation. I always say that if if uh, um, Matthew 5, 16, is that let your light shine? Yes, let your light shine. Exactly. Yes, that is act. That is the context that is the meaning of matthew 5 16 let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father that is the context it's because you are his representatives i always tell people that one easy way or what are the first two points the first one is because what did i say let me look at my notes the reasons to live for god number one because god wants us to or because we know that god wants us to the second is because we see why God wants us. And so that's where growth and maturity comes in, where you actually see things from God's point of view and your motivations are the same as God. So it's no more, you're no more a reluctant child that is saying, don't do this. Say, ah, I really want to, but I love you or I'm submitted to you, so I wouldn't do it. You actually understand why it's important that you don't live that way. And the third is because we are God's representatives. We're God's representatives. So like I said, I, I tell people that whatever interaction you have with an unbeliever, if at, if you say something or you do something and following that interaction, you cannot preach the gospel to them. Check it. So let's say you lashed out at a cashier. Can you come back and say, by the way, Jesus loves you. If you cannot say that, you, whatever you did in that situation was wrong. Let me just tell you now. It was wrong. No matter how justified you think it is, if it would make it harder for you to be a witness to them, you've done the wrong thing. I can, I can guarantee. There could have been a better way. I'm not saying you shouldn't fight for this. So let's say Kashia is being um, taking your change and you are saying, no, this is not right. I'm not saying you can't demand justice or whatever. But if your 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 actions, your words. 
to those of you that have had roommates if you cannot if your if your interaction with that roommate has made it so that you cannot say jesus loves you check it maybe you could have done something better maybe you could have done something better maybe you could have done something better as believers we literally preserve or we carry the reputation and the name of god and that's why paul was so particular about this when he's giving teachings about let's say the conduct of women in the church he's saying cover your hair he's saying i don't want women you shopping the authority because i don't want the church to be known i don't want the the message that we preach to be equated with rebellion in the home i don't want that it's so important not that oh if you don't cover your hair God, no, no, no. He says it's more than that. He says so that people don't see us as places where um, there is no order, especially in that kind of society, so that the church is not seen as a place where rebellion is 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 given. Same thing, S- children to their parents, slaves to their masters. Right? I don't want the church to be known. He says you guys should work hard. I don't want the church to be known as a place of lazy people. The church must not, because if the church is seen as that, then Jesus, by implication, is seen as a, a, an advocate of laziness, an advocate of rebellion in the home, an advocate of, of radical, right? We talked about that when I was like, why didn't Paul say, oh, no slavery, <laughs> right? Because of the reputation of God. Because of the reputation of God. The same thing, the kinds of people that ought to be leaders, Right, he says they must have a good reputation outside. It was a it was a criteria, so that the church will never be slandered. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Ask yourself every time: if I was to present the gospel now, will my actions make it conducive? What I've just done, what I've just said to this coworker, can I come and tomorrow tell him Jesus loves you, or tell her Jesus loves you? Right. We bear the name of the Lord. I've, I've explained that before. That when you read Exodus 20, the 10 commandments, say, thou shalt not bear the name of your Lord in vain. It doesn't mean you say, God, I, say, I have borne the name of the Lord in vain. Say, Jesus. Say, no, don't say Jesus. You know that the 10 commandments says, you should not bear the name of the Lord in vain. That goes beyond just using it casually. No, 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 no. The idea of bearing the name of the Lord is what we're talking about now. That you represent God. Do nothing that will, will lead to, 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 to the ridicule of the name of the Lord. Don't, don't live your life carelessly because you bear the name of the Lord. We see that in Exodus 23 verse 21. You can turn there or write it down. Exodus 23 verse 21. God was talking to them about a, an angel. Let's start from verse 20. It says, behold, I send an angel before you this was as they were going into canaan i send an angel before you to keep you in the way of the lord and to bring you into the place i have prepared he says beware of him and obey his voice do not provoke him for he will not pardon your transgressions this is my emphasis for my name is in him for my name is in him because my name is in him, he's set apart he's set apart that is who we are as believers. We carry the name of the Lord. It's the same thing Israel did. They bore the name of the Lord. And so by their actions, their inactions, people are forming perspectives about God. 
people are forming and that's how rahab got saved like oh your god that delivered you from israel from from egypt through gog and magog through the wilderness ah is this god is is truly god this god is truly god you'd see the queen of sheba coming to solomon after everything like wow your god daniel interprets dreams and the king is like no that that was the angel of the lord that was to guide them into the promised land that is we're not going to talk yes that was the angel we're not going to talk about this who is the angel don't worry <laughs> journey through the tour <laughs> um i'm not going to answer that question <laughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm not going to answer that question i don't know which in is or the core but whichever one if it's bankole or um <laughs> okay Maybe ask ask in Yolua after this ask in Yolua after this um <laughs> teaching which angel was that but we're not doing we're not going to talk about that who is the angel of the lord you're we're not going to talk about that today it's out you see it's out of scope it's out of our uh, <laughs> our material <laughs> but um what was i saying yes bearing the name of the lord daniel will interpret and say your god and truly there is no god like your god that's what it means to bear the name that through our actions, through the things we do, through the way we live our lives, people form and hopefully the right mindset about God. Oh, God is kind. How do I know? These Christians are kind. I told you about the story of my co-worker. Just because you heard there was someone, random person that ministers to prisoners. He's like, oh, he's a Christian. Why? Because both of you, you've done nice things. That is how to bear the name of the Lord. That's how to bear the name of the Lord. Oh, I know that God is close to the brokenhearted. How? This this is my Christian friend. He's the only person I can call when things are going bad for me. That's how to bear the name of the Lord. That's how to bear the name of the Lord. Not to say, ah, Christians are hypocrites. Ah, is it not? This my co- is a Christian. <laughs> the Christians are hypocrites. You have borne the name of the Lord in vain. If you like, never say, God forbid, Jesus Christ. Oh my God. You have still borne the name of the Lord in vain. <laughs> right? That is God's, and that the funny thing is, this was always God's intention that He will be revealed, He will be seen through humanity. Through humanity, from Genesis, literally from Genesis 1, let us make man in our own image. In our own image, leading into Christ, the revelation of God. No man has seen God in time, the Son has declared Him. Jesus came to teach us what it meant to be an image of God. And that's our calling and it's a big deal. Because you think about it today, a big reason why God is misrepresented is very tied, is tied closely to the actions of people. I don't know if you've met people who don't say things like, oh, um, let's say you had a bad father who was a Christian and all of a sudden you're struggling coming to terms with the fatherhood of God. That's bearing the name. In fact, there probably might not be any graver example of bearing the name in vain. Many people, exactly, church hurts. And so they project that onto God. And rightfully so, because you bear the name. <laughs> you bear the name. So you can't blame them. The people of in the early world, sometimes they would ridicule the God of Israel. Why? Because Israel was sinning and God allowed them to be conquered. That's what it means. God has tied, attached his name to a people with all the risks that come from doing that. But it's, a, it's, it's an honor. 
a huge privilege but also huge responsibility that every time you go out you're like i bear the name of the lord literally i mean this this goes without saying that that means if you are in a place and they don't even know you are christian you've not even started <laughs> like there's i'm not saying you go out and say i'm christian but like damn if there's nothing about your conduct no decency no uprightness that they can distinguish from your society maybe you want to check it you're not shining you've put a cover on your light you've put cover on your light you've put cover on your light because even if they don't join, they should at least see that difference. I love, I love that verse in First Peter, First Peter, um, chapter four, verses one to four. It says, "Since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself with the same mind. For he who has suffered in flesh has sinned from sin, um, that we should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of man, but for the will of God." Verse three: We have spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. I'll read verse 4 in the NLT. It says, of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. And so they slander you. That is a good way to bear the name. So it doesn't always mean when they say they would see your good works and glorify God. Sometimes it might not always be in a positive light, but at least... It would be in the right light to say oh these christians they are too stuck up if it's because you were not you didn't get drunk with them that's good <laughs> that's a good thing if it's because you are your your co-worker is hitting on you and you say oh no this is not right and she's like oh you christians and that's that's a good that's a good slander that that's a good one gold starts you <laughs> but if it's that you are lazy you come to work last and you leave first because you have church program you are, you are bearing the name of the Lord in vain. Let me tell you now. <laughs> you are bearing the name of the Lord in vain. So remember, we've been given a high calling. Our everyday must reveal the goodness, the mercy, the justice, the nature, the love of God. Whether as parents, whether as partners, whether as friends, co-workers, roommates, roommates, roommates. <laughs> Be kind. Take an interest in their lives, especially if they are not saved. Take an interest in their lives. Make the most of that relationship and be intentional about revealing God any way you possibly can. Because think about it. That's when, when we say, oh, we are light. It means that if we are surrounded by darkness, what it truly means to be light is that you shine. So for you to always lock yourself in your room when your neighbor is in darkness, that's not how to be light. You shine. Of course, if they've said, I don't want, I just leave me alone. Okay, stick to being kind, doing the right thing. But be, be intentional about stepping into darkness as light to reveal God. Be intentional. And so that is, that is something that Paul is going to emphasize in this book. How the knowledge of salvation teaches us to live in a certain way teaches us to live in a certain way and like i said of course there'll be similarities with first and second timothy but we're going to most likely skip over not skip but i wouldn't emphasize it as much all right so that is our introduction to the book of titus <laughs> so i guess we can be done <laughs> all right so if you haven't already get your bibles <laughs> your writing materials and turn to titus 
chapter 1, verse 1. Now we're starting. <laughs> All right. As usual, I'm reading from the NKJV. Um, All right. So it says, Paul, a bond servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords to godliness. There's, we might not get past verse 4 today because there's a lot <laughs> in these verses and I don't want to skip them. I want us to start with that word, bond servant. This is not the first time we're seeing Paul describe it, but I don't know if I've ever highlighted it as much as I should. I don't know. <laughs> it says, Paul, a bond servant. What is the word bond servant? It is exactly what it means. A servant. It's the word doulos in the Greek. A slave, a servant. I remember having a conversation um, with a friend when I was in final year in school. And he's like, no, we are not servants. God has made us his sons. Don't say you are a servant. <laughs> I said, oh God, I get what you're trying to say. But we are servants of God. He said, no. <laughs> Don't you know what Christ has done? I don't know. <laughs> How can I know? <laughs> and I mean, it's it's a needless argument. It's very clear. Even in our personal relationships, right? We know that our relationships with people can have different expressions. I mean, for married couples, right? If there's anyone married, of which I am among, in case you're not aware, your, your, your spouse can be your friend. Your spouse can be your business partner. Your spouse is hopefully your lover, right? These are all varying expressions from the same person. Sometimes maybe even in slightly different modes of expressions in different points in time. <laughs> you don't say, oh, we're not friends. We're married couples. We're not friends. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> like it's not an either or. You are friends. You are married, right? And it's the same thing as it describes our relationship with God. There is a sense in which, yes, we are friends of God. John 15 verse 15. John 15 verse 15. Jesus said it clearly. No longer do I call you servants. And I can hear my friend say, eh, can you see? <laughs> yeah. But so Paul did not know. Paul did not read. Uh, he didn't read the words of Jesus. I mean. um, no longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. Context. Servant in this context is what? Ignorance. You don't know the family business. You don't know the next thing the father, the head of the house wants to do. Yours is to simply do what you're told. No relationship. This is about access and relationship. He says, but I have called you friends. For all the things I've heard of my father, I have made known to you. So in this context, friendship with God is what? Access revelation now we know god we know what he's doing in the world in that sense we are not servants we are friends we're also called sons and daughters siblings of christ we see that in galatians 4 romans 8 15 to 17 let's let's we could open it romans 8 15 to 17 it says we didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear we receive the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, 
Abba, Father. For the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So there's a sense in which we are also sons and daughters of God. Would you now say, oh, I'm not a friend. I'm a son. Context. (laughs) You are both a friend and a son. But we are also servants of God. 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2 verse 13. 1 Peter 2 verse 13. Let's go there quickly. 1 Peter 2 verse 13. It says, Therefore, submit yourself to every ordinance of man. So, the same thing we're talking about earlier. He said, be good citizens. Why? For the Lord's sake. Don't be rebellious unless it violates human rights or justice or or the doctrine of christ be a good citizen for the lord's sake pay your taxes <laughs> literally that's what romans said pay, pay your taxes yeah <laughs> i only pay taxes say, which we pay taxes he said no i pay taxes to the lord that's my tithe you are a thief <laughs> and the irs will come for you <laughs> it says for the lord's sake whether to the king as supreme or to governors or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers um where am i going to yes for this is the will of god verse 15 that by doing good you put to silence the ignorance of foolish men verse 16 as free yet not using liberty as a cloak or a cover-up for bad things for vice but as servants of god the same word that we live for god the way we represent god in society is a sense in which we are servants of god we do his bidding so that is clearly referring to conduct an obligation to doing the will of god so god yes is our friend god is our father god is our brother but god is also our lord and master and i want to remind you today maybe you've you've uh, enjoyed the revelation of god as father so much as friend oh my god my honey bunny my best friend my mushy love i don't know what you say but god is also master god is also master and in that sense we are servants of god it means that our 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 say my daddy my daddy we live to please him even when it's not convenient and that's the emphasis is on activity and that's why paul uses it in his introduction a lot because he's speaking from the context of an apostle as a minister of the gospel not just that as a suffering minister remember the context of second timothy many of the places he wrote this like he was in prison and so you can, you'll be wondering, Paul, why are you suffering? Why are you stressing yourself so much? Why do you do all that you do? You are in prison. I'm sure this is not how you wanted your life to go. What is Paul's response? I'm a servant of God. I have to do what God has said. It's the same thing as believers. They can say, oh, wow. How come you chose this lower paying job? It doesn't make sense. I mean, you could have easily skyrocketed your career. He says what? I'm a servant of God. Oh, wow. How did you forgive this person? They were the ones that hurt you. Why are you so forgiving? It makes no sense. I am a servant of God. I don't have a choice. There's that sense of God as master that you're like, it really does not matter 
what I feel about these situations. I'm a servant of God. In ministry, in conduct, his will becomes my mandate. I'm a servant of God. I'm a servant of God. Amen. So Paul, a born servant of God and what? An apostle of Jesus Christ. We've talked about this at length. We're going to 2 Corinthians. I'm not even going to dwell so much on Paul's apostleship because the entire book of 2 Corinthians was to emphasize his apostleship. That's where we're going to next, right? In the next couple of weeks, 2 Corinthians. So um, it says, and I'm an apostle, I was sent by God according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. I was reading this and I'm like, I can see why some people don't like the NKJV. Because it's very easy to read this and you have no idea what he's saying. You're like, okay, according to the faith of God, I know what faith means. <laughs> I know elects. I know acknowledge. But what exactly is he saying? I like the way the NLT puts it. Um, although the phrasing of elect might throw you off a bit, but I would explain. It says, I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen. That's according to the faith of the elect. So I'm a servant and an apostle according to the faith of the elect. My role as a servant and an apostle is to proclaim faith to these people. What else? It says, and um, and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. The NLT breaks it down. It says, and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. I think that's a very, it's a much, clear, um, it's a clearer explanation. I've been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. Remember, I, I told you that's the whole point of second, um, I said second Titus, of Titus, <laughs> to teach people how to live godly lives. So now some of you, I don't know how long you've been in JTC or how much you remember, you're like, ah, elect those God has chosen. Um, we'll talk about that at length. <laughs> Romans 9, 10, 11. But very quickly, this this is not, um, um, at least I don't hold to a position. I've explained this in Ephesians. I've explained this in First Peter. Um, I would explain it at length in Romans. But very quickly, I don't believe that the scriptures teach an active sense of choosing by God. When it says, according to the faith of God's elect, it refers to those that will or those that will receive the sacrifice of Christ. And the reason that the Bible speaks of these people as though it is already final is because God's, um, God in his infiniteness, right? I'll, I'll explain this. He proposes in eternity and it is revealed in time. We're going to see that in this chapter, but I'll say that again. God in his infiniteness, because God exists outside time, outside, outside creation, he proposes from eternity, even though it is revealed in time. So for instance, in Revelation 13 verse 8, Revelation 13 verse 8, it says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain when at 3 AD on the cross was that when Christ was slain no slain from the foundation of the world slain from the foundation of the world one more verse and then we 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 try to unpack 
what is going on um sorry i'm looking at my notes first peter 1 verse 19 first peter 1 verse 19 the same thing the same thing it says knowing that from verse 18 hold on okay yes knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers but with the precious blood of christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot he did was foreordained when from the found from before the foundation of the world but was what manifest in these last times manifest in these last times and so we see that even god's plans and purposes in christ when was jesus the lamb of god was it when he died on the cross no from eternity he was the son of god he was the lamb of god but when was it revealed it was revealed on that cross it was revealed in time because god is dealing with humans that exist in time and so the reason why paul can use words like god's elect is because god has proposed a family in christ we talked about it in ephesians god's plan was to send jesus and so there's a sense because in which because god exists out of time everyone who will accept christ is god's elect is in the family of christ nothing there has to nothing there suggests that there was an active choosing that there was an active choosing it's 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 just that sense in which these are the people that received the gospel they are the people of god and god has known them from the beginning of time the same way god knew the death of his son god has known the the his people from the beginning of time and we're going to talk it we're going to talk more about this for now you can really listen to ephesians 1 and first peter 1 but we're going to talk more about this in romans and so what paul is saying is that for the sake of everyone who will believe this gospel these people that god has chosen in that sense i am a servant i do what i do for the sake of all these people that has and will eventually believe the gospel I, I labor, I serve as an apostle, I serve as a minister of God. Does that make sense? Thumbs up, if that makes sense. Thumbs up, if that makes sense. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Delight. Okay. 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 Good. Good. Let's go to verse two. Sort of. Um, sort of. So, an easy way to think about it, right? You don't know your children, but you already know you love them. At least I hope so. So you can tell your child, even before you were born, I have loved you. Do you get? It's not as though, um, like, there's a sense in which when you did see the child, you loved the child, but you knew that, okay, when I do have a child, I will. it's a weak analogy because God's vastness is way greater. It's the same way it says, while you're in your mother's womb, I have known you, I have formed and I've ordained you as a prophet right god's purposes exist out of time and so god in that sense has already received unto himself a family in christ even before he made the first human he has received a family in christ even before the incarnation what is that family in christ everyone who will believe the gospel god has known you from the foundations of the world as his child in that sense you are his elect not because he forced you to choose but because he knew you in christ 
even before you made that decision. And so there's a sense in which there are many people that will still say yes to God. God knows them. They are our brothers and sisters, yet not, yes, not revealed in time, but for their sakes, for the sakes of everyone that will still say yes. We labor, we preach, we evangelize. Does that make sense? So, okay, yes. I'm, I, I hope, okay, but you said it makes sense. That's good. Um, like I said, we're going to talk, we're going to, I'm going to take my time in Romans 9, before we even probably, like as we read, we're going to have maybe date, well, it's four hours, so there's a lot we can cover in in that time but we're going to talk about all of these things at length we'll look through old new what can we learn about the purposes of god according to election predestination and all of that so um just bear with me you can listen to those ephesians and um first peter and what i've said today and you can if it's still not clear just bear with me till we get to um romans <laughs> romans yes yeah, so invite all your friends that romans <laughs> After Romans, if anybody asks me question again, <laughs> I'm just joking. Please ask your questions. So yes, that is what Paul is saying. He goes on, he says, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Quick question. Paul is a master writer. I'm sure you know by now. He doesn't just play around with words. Why did he say, which God who cannot lie, promised? Five star. Should I, or should I give extra? Um, maybe I'll, I'll buy you lunch. Or I'll give you a gift card. The first person that can answer this question. Why did God say, exactly? Exactly. Dami, I owe you. I owe you some. Just message me after. It's, it wasn't just saying, God cannot lie. No. Remember what he's doing. He's trying to address believers that live in a culture where like we read in verse 12 they are always liars and he's telling them god is not like that the god you have believed is not a liar yes i know all of you you live in a culture where every that is not god and by implication as we're going to see in the next chapter that should not be you that should not be you so everything he's writing is is driving towards that same point that if you truly bear the name of the Lord, you're going to live differently. So he says there is a hope of eternal life that God has called us to and this God cannot lie. He promised it before the time began. And so when, whenever we see hope, sometimes we say, oh, I'm hoping for. Hope does not, many times when we use hope today, it's like maybe maybe not right it's like ah, i'm sure hoping say how far this say i'm i'm just hoping no 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 the christian hope is the word lps in the greek elpis it literally means to anticipate usually with pleasure it says to expect with great confidence in fact it is synonymous with faith right so when he says that God has given us a hope of eternal life, this is not maybe, maybe not. There is a sense in which the moment we trusted in Christ as our Savior, we have a hope. First of all, as a present um, present tense possession. He says in John 5, 24, he who hears my word, believes in him, has eternal life. John, um, 1 John, I have written these things to you, 1 John 5, that you may know that you have eternal life right we have it but there's also a sense in which its fulfillment will be seen 
when Christ returns. And it's not uncertain. It's not maybe, maybe not Jesus will come. It's not maybe, maybe not I will enjoy eternity with God. It is a confident assurance. It is a confident assurance. So don't read hope. I'm like, ah, hope of it. I say, ah, we're hoping. No. You say, when it just comes, we're just hoping. <laughs> we're not just hoping. There is a confidence and an anticipation to all that Christ is going to do when he returns. So what he's saying is that God has determined in eternity past, right? Because he says what he was promised before time began. It's the same thing I said. Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. The hope of eternal life was promised before time began. Meaning even before God actively in time created, there was he had already determined to give eternal life to all who would believe on the Lord Jesus. He had determined to give eternal life to all who would believe in his son, Jesus. And verse 3, like I said, it has in due time manifested. This was always God's plan. Humanity bearing his image through his son. He says, in due time. In due time. I'm going to talk about the dueness of the time. <laughs> why is it, wh like, why, why did Christ die when he did? I have some thoughts about the time of the world, the culture, the language, the location. It's, we'll get there. God is wise. We'll get there in Romans 9. I'm sorry, we'll get there in Romans 9. But it is really in due time. It is really in due time. I know some of you are like, ah, why wasn't it when we already have selfies? So that we can just video Jesus' life. Say, God, are you sure you chose the right time? Because if you did it now, IG live, say, right, hey guys, we're just walking with Jesus. He just healed. He just, <laughs> he just healed this person. Oh, wow. Two million views. Like, share, subscribe, guys. <laughs> On the streets with Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag <laughs> why not why not then why at least people would have had selfies <laughs> would nobody would be arguing whether or not he did the things he did but there's something about god wanting it to be by faith. well we'll talk about it god wanting it to be by faith and well anyways romans and i will get there and say hashtag the blind just so um <laughs> as in Another of what Jesus just did on the streets. Anyways, it says, in due time, he has manifested his word through preaching, hmm, which was committed to me according to the commandment of uh, God, of God our Savior. Hmm. I want you to look at that. It says, God... Um, God has promised the hope of eternal life to his elect from the beginning of time, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching. That's, that's, that's interesting. For, first of all, of course, manifest means to make clear. But think about it. Paul didn't say that he manifested it through the resurrection. He didn't say he manifested it on the cross. He said that this was manifested through preaching. What God has done in Jesus is revealed to the world. How? Through preaching. 
And you might be like, okay, where are you going with this? It's actually very profound. Because what Paul is saying is that it doesn't matter how big of a deal what God did on the cross. If it is not preached to the world, it is it amounts to nothing. Yes, Jesus could have died, rose from the dead, but if nobody announces it, it's as good as it didn't happen. All of a sudden, it's a big deal. Don't forget, of course, classic Paul introduction. Why am I a minister of this gospel? This is why. Because God has ordained that everything he did in Christ will be manifest through preaching. Through preaching. And we've all experienced that. I mean, let's say you were living some, let's say you were doing something before and someone just said, oh no, this is not how you use this thing. And they show you and like, oh wow, life hack. I remember I was, I think I watched uh, a short video. Someone was talking about how, like whenever your plane is delayed or something, write a letter to the airline. You will get free credit. I didn't know before. The amount of free credit I got, free airline credit I got last year. I said, wow. So it's like that. (laughs) I didn't know. It was always there. But because I wasn't told, I didn't know. It's as good as it didn't exist. You think about electricity. Look at all the things we can do with it. Electricity has always existed. It was there. It was there. But what it means is, as far as our experience is concerned, there is no difference with something not existing. Right? And us not knowing about it. It's pretty much the same thing. Whatever you don't know, recognize and receive, for the most part, (laughs) because you can jump and you're still there. But it's as good as it's not there. And that is what Paul uses to describe the work of God in Christ that it was manifested through preaching. We saw that in the mystery of Godness, right? Preached on in the world. It is part and parcel of God's work in Christ that people will proclaim it because if it is not proclaimed, people will not know. If they do not know, it's as good as it did not happen. Paul reached out to them, asked, have you heard of the Holy Ghost since you? He said, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Ghost. (laughs) Can you see? It's as good as it's not there. We don't even know there's a who and like ah what did you hear what did you hear so i want you to think about that unsaved friend think about places where the gospel has not reached it is important and that's why he uses these words he says manifested his word through preaching it was committed to me according to the command of god our savior the word commit there is the same word to to have faith in someone to bestow it's the same word for faith God has, God has chosen to have faith in his church. He says, I will die for humanity, but I will put my faith in humans, in my people, that they would spread this message. They would spread this message. And so Paul is saying, God has trusted me according to his command, right? It's a command of trust. Preach this gospel. Preach this. I trust you to get the job done this gospel and that is that is where we all stand as believers today we've been entrusted a command of trust jesus will not come and preach angels will not come and preach god has chosen to rest the fate of his salvific work in your mouth think about that all that jesus has done all that God has been planning since the beginning, all the prophecies, all the confirmations, everything is all leading to, will you talk? That's, think about that. 
it's hinging on the the effectiveness of Jesus' work on the cross is hinged on will you talk? Will you preach? Will you preach? And so let it let let it move you that God has trusted me with a command. I have to tell people about Jesus. Else it's as good as he didn't die. Think about it. If the 120 did not say anything and they died, that's the end. Jesus is not going to come and die again. That's the, like, that's the end. All, only them will be saved and boom. Humanity is done for. <laughs> but they didn't stop. The reason we see the effects of the cross in our own lives today is because people preached. The reason that co-worker, the reason that, 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 that roommate, the reason that Uber driver is going to know the power of the resurrection is not because Jesus died. It's because you told them about it. So be intentional. God has proposed in due time that his word will be manifested through preaching. Through preaching. So take it seriously. Tell people about Jesus. Tell people about Jesus. Final, okay. Well, let's see. Verse 4. To Titus, a true son in our common faith. Common does not mean ordinary. Common is the word koinos. It means something that is shared, right? So the same faith Titus has is the same faith I, that Paul has. By God's grace, the same faith that Paul has is the same faith I have. It's a shared faith. We've all come into faith in what Jesus has done. And of course, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Just a little nugget. In verse 3, who did he say our Savior was? God right in verse 4 who is our savior jesus is jesus god yes <laughs> just just another arrow in your ass now <laughs> just to put that there <laughs> all right and then i'll end in verse 5 it says for this reason i left you at crete why that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as i commanded you so it, it shows that of course obviously this was a young church paul probably spent maybe just a couple weeks with them um, there were definitely things that needed to be addressed. There were things that were lacking in the church and they needed leaders. And by implication, it goes into our lives today. No believer is perfect. No church is perfect. We need leaders. We need spiritual oversight to continually bring us, <laughs> to continually bring us to, um, oh, why isn't the letter long? I think it was just basic instructions. They, they were so bad that they just, just the basics. Let, let's just do the basics. I mean, I don't know. Most of the um, personal letters weren't, weren't long either ways. Um, and maybe he had trusted Titus to do the work that he didn't have to write, right? Um, <clears throat> like I was saying, we need spiritual oversight to bring us to shape. Just like Ephesians 4 says, till we all come. To the fullness of the stature of Christ. And so personally, even in your own life, recognize that you can always get better. You can always grow. There are things you can work on through, through discipleship, through teaching, through pastoral oversight. There are things that are lacking in your life that can be better. That can be better. Um, I would pause here just because I don't want to start... Um, the next flow of thought, which is um, qualifications for elders.
but as far as an introduction goes um i hope we at least have a good bearing um going into the book of titus amen any questions any questions okay delight please go ahead um this is something i've been pondering on for a while and it kind of even makes sense here because when we when paul was writing timothy he was writing about the efficient church mm. and Ephesus currently is turkey right mm. and then here he's writing to the crete church which is mm. in current day greece mm. and he always feels like all these pinnacles of christianity end up falling yeah. and if you look at england like they rose they rose to kingdom who were like to like their nation their status as, as a world power in like with christianity and stuff and mm-hmm. they, they always like drop it and it always makes me fear for nigeria because i feel like like nigeria is like the center of what god is doing in like modern day christianity and even just like um um, propagating the gospel and mm. i'm like there's just like there's just so much potential i'm like lord are we going to enter a post-christianity era in nigeria <laughs> and also how do how do we stop how do we stop that i don't even know yeah okay so many patterns of this happening in history even the u.s yeah yeah um you've asked a very good question um i would talk a bit more about it in revelations actually um because the letters to the seven churches it's very interesting how many of these churches a lot of times they say oh i'll take out your lap stand you're like ah would they lose their salvation no there was something very different going on paul sorry everything is poor the angel was talking to john and talking about this future state of those churches and we see it today many of those churches are almost exclusively either atheistic or islamic nations um it i think it just shows it shows it reveals human nature actually it's the same thing with let's even revivals something happens the person that kickstarts it dies and then the work just dries up it has nothing to even do with the um the people in the revival like many of them probably till the end of their lives they were fervent for god but it's a human nature that as something becomes commonplace many times we start to lose its appreciation right and unfortunately history has shown that to be the case with christianity um even in the old testament i mean the israelites it was you could always see that rise fall rise fall rise fall they would see god in their midst it's beautiful things are new and then boom they get complacent everything crashes down god has to wake them up again same thing in the book of the judges even in our own personal lives if we're not careful in fact many times i think it was dr ravi zakaris i said it that for many of us our christian walk is not really like this and not that there's anything wrong but it's more like it's but it's going up but it's up down up down and it's going up because consistency is hard it's perhaps one of the hardest things to do as humans where we are constantly just keeping that energy keeping that fire it's god's ideal but history has shown time and time again at least collectively not necessarily personally but at least collectively that people tend to experience those highs and lows those highs and lows and i talked about it when i talked about revivals how it's not god's ideal right because for you to be revived it means something has started dying but it's almost always the outcome of humanity what can we do we the best we can do is what we can do we all what we can do is 
strive to keep the fire burning in our lives and in the lives of people around us emphasize what the apostles emphasized right um emphasize consistency emphasize doctrine over just um vibes emphasize um maturity and solidity over over um over amazing meetings emphasize the basics that's the best we can do is it very likely that as per human nature things will still go up and down yes but there's little we can do in that regard the best we can do is the best we can do the best we can do is the best we can do i I hope that helps but it's a good observation and it shows that for instance that has nothing to do with the training of paul these are places paul founded as churches and they ended up becoming godless um christian less cities it's not like paul was a bad apostle definitely not it was a human choice to not continue maybe from generation maybe it wasn't properly passed down maybe there was a bit of complacency let's say when the persecution stopped especially if you read church history at least in rome there was that clear sense once christianity became the official religion of the nation they were not on their toes right and so christianity got mixed with politics all sorts of things right it's 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 a very complex issue but at its core it's just a simple indicator of human weakness even in the body of christ because we're still humans um but yeah very good question very good question i think the best advice would be to pray keep praying for the church and focus on what god will have you do um yeah all right uh dami please go ahead yeah um so i have two questions that relate to the class um so the other one i'll probably ask it after um class so the first one is like from from verse two um say something about in the old in hope of eternal life um which god who cannot lie promised before time began um so i have i mean i think it's in john first john i think it's something about like we have eternal life Mm. and all and i'm not sure i I was trying to like find if there's another verse that says something about hope of eternal life but like i've seen people teach where it looks like there is an eternal life to receive at the end yes like there, we um, look forward to that life. And then it's like, how does that balance with we have eternal life mm. now? Mm. Um, is it like we don't have the fullness or... I, I, I think in this place, it's not really talking about... Um, what's the word? It's probably talking about it from a future, like, oh, God planned eternal life for all men or something. But just generally, like, is there a, an eternal life, is there an attainment of eternal life that is not what we have right now? Very good question. Um... So yes, I I kind of touched on it, right? Um, There is a clear sense in which we have eternal life. John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you and the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So what that means, I think the reason it gets confusing sometimes is because the question is, what is eternal life? Is it merely existing forever? No, it's, it's, it's a quality of life that is defined by proximity to God. It is life in Eden, in a sense, right? That's why in both Genesis and Revelation, the analogy is the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden is where heaven and earth are one, where God and man are in constant fellowship. And so the idea of eternal life is is that we are in good relationship with God, first and foremost. And then it is revealed. And... It is because God is the source 
of life it then shows in the quality of that life that follows so there is a sense in which eternal life is first and foremost a relationship with god right and then it 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 then transforms to the absence of death the absence of death physically and spiritually so on one hand we have eternal life but on the other hand we hope for eternal life so in titus it is actually talking about the hope right eternal life is going to be it's ultimately we still even in this world despite our relationship with god interact with the effects of sin interact with the effects of sin but there is a sense in which god is going to so radically restore creation in his goodness where there will be no trace of death that hasn't happened yet and so even in the first john that he says i have written this to you that you have eternal life in first john 2 verse 25 he says and this is the promise he has promised us eternal life in first john 5 verse 1 he says god has given us eternal life and this life is in his son in first john 5 verse 13 you may know that you have eternal life but in jude 21 it says keep yourselves in the love of god looking for the mercy of our lord jesus unto eternal life unto eternal life first timothy 6 verse 19 storing up a good foundation that they may lay hold on eternal life right um so there is a sense in which and romans it talks about this right or even in popular theology we've been saved talking about um salvation right regeneration we are being saved talking about sanctification how we are day-to-day becoming more like christ and we will be saved talking about glorification where even in our bodies and in the world around us god is not going to abolish the physical in christ right he's going to he's going to permeate it with life and flood out every trace of sin and death so that's glorification so there is a hope we have we saw it in first peter in fact he even says it that if you if you have it already it's not hope paul said that so it's something we don't yet necessarily have we have the assurance of it and that's why i said hope is not maybe it's not that kind of maybe maybe not it is guaranteed but the same way just like jesus it has not been revealed in time yet it is as good as done but it hasn't happened in time so christ will return will set all things right and we would fully experience what it truly means to have the life of god that hasn't happened yet the fact that you are sick <laughs> shows it hasn't happened yet right um so yes there is a hope of eternal life there is a hope of eternal life okay thank you very much um the second one although i mean you mentioned it in your introduction um but i just realized that it's in chapter two okay. of titus so it's about where like um paul um paul was talking about to the older woman yeah. um to the young men maybe yeah. yeah yeah and all then i was i was wondering like some of the things i mentioned for the young men the older women and younger women all, all of that they should probably like yeah read that as well so or um benefit from that yeah so i'm wondering like is there, is there a segregation or is it because of the culture at the time okay or when we read it we just like read to everybody yeah to this good question kind of and so that's where narrative poetry goes in there is a sense in which it is specific to them because of the things that they are they are um 
they are most likely to falter on right but then it is also generic so for instance when he says teach young women to love their husbands does that mean that young men should not love their wives of course not um there is a there is a specificity especially in that culture of okay young woman love your husband love your children young man be sober-minded be sober-minded um or old man be sober don't be a drunk old you know how like there can be that tendency you're older you don't really have much you know so you're just chilling he's saying older men be sober be temperate right older women teach younger women does that mean older men should not teach younger men no 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 so it it is it is also it's narrative poetry in which you see john saying i write to younger men i write to older men does that mean the younger men or the older men don't have the faith not necessarily um it is it is narrative poetry so there is a sense in which these are clear instructions for these people group because they are the they are the ones most likely to be given to the reverse of the scenario but of course in general everyone should still imbibe everyone it's not just old men that should be temperate everyone should be temperate everyone should be sober everyone should be reverent in behaviors everyone should teach people below them how they ought to live their lives it's not specific in that sense does that make sense so it's yes, yes and no yes, yeah <laughs> yes and all right <laughs> good question thank you thank you um bolu please go ahead Thank you. So um, my question is from the Book of Acts. So recently I was just like going over it again and I noticed, yeah, Luke wrote it, right? Mm. So was Luke actually like with Paul? I know he was an eyewitness, but in the later parts of Acts, like from 22 down to 28, he like personalizes things like, oh, we went to this yeah. place, we sailed through. So I was like, why is he making it so personal? I know the book of Acts mentioned Silas, Barnabas, people that like journeyed with Paul to different places mm. to do ministry, but it didn't really record that Luke was there, mm. although he was the one that wrote it. So, but mm. the way he wrote it is like, oh, we went to this place, we saw yeah. these believers, we left. So, was he actually there with Paul? That's my question. Okay, I would have answered it at the end, but it's a very straightforward answer, so I can't do that now. So, there's a point, and I think it's probably the chapter you talked about, if not earlier, there's a point where the narrative starts to say we. Once it says we, Luke was actually part of that journey. Luke was with whoever it is we went, we did this. Luke was there. And some other parts it changes again and it's Paul. Um, so the other information, it's from eyewitness. So Luke is probably asking Paul what happened. He's asking Peter what happened. He's asking people in the church what happened. And there are places where he was actually with Paul. And the narrative shifts, like you said, in the pronouns. Once it starts to say we, Luke is actually going with them on that journey. Um, yeah, and we see Luke mentioned in many of Paul's epistles as well. So, yeah. Mm, all right. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So, let us pray and then we call it a day. Um, I hope you've been blessed. I hope you've learned one or two things and or at least been reminded of one or two things. Again, live for God in your perverse culture. Don't run away. Despite you being there, live for God and shine as the light that you are. Dear Lord, thank you for an amazing time in your word. Thank you for the start of a new book. Thank you that we get to explore what you by your spirit through your son um, would have for us even in our time 2,000 years later. I pray for everyone who is here, everyone who would listen to this teaching, that there is grace 
to live for you. There is grace to shine as light. There is grace to, to live as born servants of God, even in a depraved culture. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Um, I'll share the benediction and then we take first time as if there are any. Let me share my screen. So graciously prepared to us by Buki and I. <laughs> All right. Feel free to unmute yourself. Let's take it together. One, two, go. I am, I am a diligent student and do of the word. I am a teacher of the word. The word is profitable for my growth. By the word, I am corrected. By the word, I am trained in righteousness. And in the word, my spirit rejoices. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you all um, for sharing this. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for sharing this Saturday morning with me. Um, if this blessed you, let someone know. Share with a friend. Share with an enemy. If you have an enemy, you might want to read the book of First John. <laughs> um, I'll see you next week. Same time, same link. Have a great week, guys. Uh, Thank you, Saturday. Bye. You're welcome. <laughs>